Good morning, everybody. Well, I don't know how good your memories are. I gave you an introduction to James last month, and here we are at the end of another month. I did say that I'd be speaking about James some more and looking at the text. If you've been able to read the whole of the book, great. It's not a very long one. But we're dealing with mostly um, just chapter one, actually, and a bit of chapter five today. You'll see why in a minute. Remember, it's a practical book. And uh, Tom has just mentioned, I think, twice in the service already about behavior. So this is what we're going to hear about today, hopefully, how we can behave as Christians should behave. Anyway, let's pray first. Father, would you um, thank you again for the power of your word and your Holy Spirit who brings it to life for us, Lord. We do pray now that your Holy Spirit would be upon us all and that we would hear your word, Lord, and that we would be guided and shown how to apply it to our lives, that we would behave as you want us to behave. So help us, Lord, we pray, to uh, listen, to hear and to do your word. We ask this for your glory's sake. Amen. Okay, so we saw last month when we looked at the book of James that the author was most probably James, the brother of Jesus. And the epistle was likely to have been written about AD 45 to AD 50. We also looked at some of the controversies, this is just to remind you where we got to actually, surrounding the letter, which delayed its approval to be included as authoritative scripture. And that happened at the uh, Council of Carthage in AD 397. After this early controversy, in spite of the letter being included as scripture in our Bibles now for 1600 odd years, James has been criticised down the ages by some and even today is still criticised. We saw last month that in the 1500s, the well-known German theologian Martin Luther questioned James's doctrine on faith and works. Uh, today we begin to look into the text of the letter with the aim of becoming better doers of the word, which is taken from, I think it's chapter 1, verse 22. James calls us to be doers of the word. Now, James, if you've noticed, if you've read through the whole letter, James introduces a theme quite often in his letter, says a little about the theme that he's introduced, then goes off and changes his ideas and his theme to another theme, and a bit later on in the letter comes back to the theme that you read about two chapters ago or something like that. (laughs) So in view of that, I'm going to attempt to present my talks in a thematic way and not in strict chapter and verse order. And I did say that, you know, there are lots of similarities between the words in James and the words of Jesus. So remember that as we go through. I'm not necessarily going to point them out. Uh, You also see today, or you will see today, that there are some similarities between Proverbs as well in the book of James. Now, before we look at the first theme, we need to look at two more points of historical interest, which I purposely omitted from my overview, overview last month. And the reason for this is that they both come from chapter 1, verse 1. So that seemed a good place to start today. But this is all part of the introduction, really. 
if we look at, you've got your fingers in your Bibles, keep, keep your finger in James. If you want to follow up some of the other scriptures I introduce, then I'll give you time to do that. Chapter 1, verse 1. James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad. Point one is that James introduces himself as a bondservant in the same way that Paul did when writing to the Romans. And you may remember Peter gave some excellent teaching about bondservants. Briefly, the meaning here is not the usual involuntary permanent service of a slave, but describes a servant who willingly commits himself to serve a master he loves and respects. So here is our first lesson. Are we willing servants of the Lord Jesus Christ? You might like to remember Jesus' words in the parable of the sheep and the goats when he said to his sheep, don't look this up, it's just one verse, Assuredly I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these my brethren, you did it to me. So, when we serve our brothers, we serve the Lord Jesus. Are we willing servants of the Lord Jesus and of each other? Point two is to look at the possible meanings of the phrase, the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad. The Greek word for scattered abroad, you have to forgive my pronunciation, I don't know Greek, is diaspora. Diaspora or diaspora, however you, diaspora. Okay, thank you, Tom. And became a technical term for Jews living outside the land of Palestine. We see an example of this from Peter's first letter, which he addresses to the pilgrims of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia and Bithynia. That's 1 Peter 1, 1. When we look through Jewish history, however, we see many scatterings or dispersions of the tribe of Israel, or the tribes of Israel, I should say. During the time of the divided kingdom, ten tribes which comprised the northern kingdom of Israel were defeated in 722 BC by the Assyrians. Many of the Jews were deported to Assyria, or exiled, if you like, to Assyria. Some of them, however, were able to join with the two tribes that comprised the southern kingdom of Judah, and they were the tribes of Benjamin and Judah. So effectively at that time, the 12 tribes were preserved. They went down to the south of the country, and joined with the southern kingdom. The southern kingdom itself was overcome by the Babylonians in 586 BC, and again many Jews were exiled to Babylon. As well as these expulsions from the land of Israel, Many Jews were taken to Rome as slaves when the Romans conquered Palestine in, in about um, 63 BC. There's also likely to have been further dispersion of Christian Jews caused by the persecution of Herod Agrippa, which I mentioned, that was in AD 44. I referred to that persecution last month, and you may remember that it was when James, the son of Zebedee, was martyred, and Peter would have shared the same fate had he not been miraculously rescued from prison. And you can read about that in Acts 12. Now, this is um, supposition, this is not fact. James may also have been writing to those from the Jerusalem church 
who were scattered during the persecution that broke out after the stoning to death of Stephen. And you can read that in Acts 8. And an interesting thing, if this was the case, he would have been writing to them as their previous leader and pastor because he was the leader of the Jerusalem church, wasn't he? Just an interesting thing. No, no foundation of fact, I don't think, on that. Anyway, as the letter is addressed to the 12 tribes, a designation intended to identify the readers of Jews as Jews, some believe the letter was written to Jews. This may be the case, but the addressees are Christian Jews. And James makes this absolutely clear by his words in chapter 2, verse 1. You can look at that, it's just over the page. My brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. So he was definitely writing to Christians, Jews or otherwise, but definitely to Christian Jews. Okay, so now we come to the first theme that I'm going to deal with. We're going to start in the order that we um, arrive at by reading through the Bible. We're going to look at perseverance and suffering trials. And um, we can read from chapter 1, verses 2 to 4, initially. So, chapter 1, verses 2 to 4. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. The word trials used here describes things that put a person to the test. There may be trouble from without, such as persecution, or there may be inner moral conflict, such as temptation to sin. Here James suggests we will face various testings of our faith. Now these testings are not meant to defeat us, they are meant to be defeated. They are not meant to make us weaker, they are meant to make us stronger. And we are not to complain about them, about our trials, but count it all joy that the testing of our faith produces patience. Patience is better translated endurance or perseverance. And we must remember here that although the Holy Spirit is not mentioned, we do not have to face these trials alone. Jesus is with us through his Holy Spirit. And hopefully we have the prayers and the support of our brothers and sisters, our brethren. This patience, endurance or perseverance, whichever you prefer to call it, makes a person three things, as we see in verse 4. Perfect, complete and lacking nothing. Perfect in the sense that we are fit for the task God has given us to do. We are spiritually mature, not necessarily at sinless perfection point, but spiritually mature enough to do what God has called us to do. Complete means shedding our old ways and gaining new virtues. This is the regeneration that Tom referred to earlier. Until we are entirely fit for the service of God and of our brethren. Lacking nothing conveys the idea of dealing with our trials in the right way, becoming more victorious 
in our Christian lives are more like Jesus himself. Now, this theme of persevering and suffering trials continues a bit later on. So we're going to move now to verses 12 to 20. So we're ignoring what's in between. As I said, we're sticking with the same theme. Just before we read that, there's um, different uses of words here. It should be noted that um, the word used for temptation in verse 12 is the same word translated trials in verse 2. So there's lots of different meanings to these words. Um, also, um, endures in verse 12 is the same word used as patience in verse 3. So interchangeable usages. And I think you need to read it, you know, get the, the, uh, the sense of the, the words, change their meanings to get the right sense. So 12 to 20. Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire is con has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, do not be deceived my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we might be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. In this passage, James contrasts the rewards of those who persevere and meet trials in the right way with the fate of those who are not strong enough in their faith to meet trials and temptations head on. So, blessed is the person who does not give up when confronted with trying circumstances, but remains strong in faith and devotion to God. It says, when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. The word approved means passing the test. I told you that it's like having tests, this thing, and was used um, when precious metals were cleansed of alloys such as sterling silver and when um, precious coins were evaluated as genuine, being genuine, that was being approved. The crown, of course, in ancient times, as well as being worn by kings and royalty, was worn at times of joy as a crown of flowers, at feasts and weddings. And we also know about the crown of laurel leaves read by the victorious in the athletic games. James may have been thinking of the athlete's crown for the believers who are victorious in their struggles here against trials. The reward is not the crown itself, 
but life. And I believe um, prom- G- the promise of Jesus referred to here, you might like to turn to this, chapter, uh, John chapter 5, verse 24. So John 5, 24, I believe this is the, uh, the promise of Jesus. Most assuredly I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. Now that promise is also given, you might think this is a bit late in the day, but it's given to the persecuted church in Smyrna in the book of Revelation chapter 2 verse 10. You might like to turn to that, I'll give you time if you want to. It's um, Revelation 2 verse 10. Actually if you look at verse 8 first of all, uh, this gives you the, um, the speaker of this verse 10. Verse 8 says, These things says the first and the last, who was dead and came to life. That's none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. So verse 10 are Jesus' words, effectively to the church in Smyrna. Revelation 2.10 Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested, and you will have tribulation ten days. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. And the crown of life for Christians is not just eternal life. I say not just eternal life. Wow. But a new kind of living now, which is life indeed. You might remember the words of um, Jesus in John 10, verse 10. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. So that's the victorious. Now let's see the fate of those who fail the test. (coughs) What happens to those? Looking back to James um, 1, verses 13 and 14. So we see here, tempted is used as opposed to trials as the translation is more appropriate, but it's still the same Greek word used in verse 2. And we see from Scripture, of course, um, in Adam and Eve from the beginning of time that it's the human instinct to blame others for our own mistakes and sins. When God challenged Adam with his sin, he replied, the woman whom you gave to be with me She gave me of the tree and I ate. When God challenged Eve with her sin, she replied, the serpent deceived me and I ate. And it may be God's purpose for us to suffer trials and be exposed to temptation, but God has promised not to allow believers more than we can endure, but to provide a way of escape. And if you look at uh, 1 Corinthians 10, Verse 13, you'll see what I mean. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. Try and keep your finger in James, won't you, when you're flicking through your Bibles. So 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. 
So we have a choice as to whether to take the escape route or to give in. We need to trust and obey the voice of God. Now, we'll come back to that in a minute. Further, James points out that temptation does not come from God, for God cannot be tempted by evil. We cannot blame God, as as Adam blamed Eve, for example, and so on and so on, down civilization's history. God's all-powerful holy will resists any invitation to sin. In God, there is not the slightest moral depravity to which temptation may appeal. So it's absolutely inconceivable to think that God would tempt anyone. The problem is with self. Our own sinful nature draws us away, it says, draws us away to something we see as good and pleasurable for us, when in fact it is harmful and destructive. Our own desires in in verse 14 could be referring to, I'm not saying it is, but could be referring to the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh and the pride of life, the three temptations that Jesus went through. They're always there. In verse 15, we see that sin is usually a process, not a spontaneous act. A desire is conceived We think about it, we think about committing the sin. We carry it out and it brings forth death. Whilst we were undergoing temptation, we need to call upon the Holy Spirit to strengthen us and prevent us from ill-formed desires. We haven't sinned until we make that step of disobeying the Lord. Whilst we're being tempted, there's still hope. The Holy Spirit will help us to keep our eyes fixed upon Jesus. Now, having alluded to God's holiness in verse 13, James then reminds us in verse 17 that everything that comes from God is good. God is the creator of the heavenly lights, the sun, the moon and the stars, which have variable characteristics but God never changes. Malachi says in chapter 3, verse 6, For I am the Lord, I do not change. The writer to the Hebrews in 13.8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today and forever. Now, so far, James has denied that God tempts us by declaring God's holiness and goodness and now adds that he is gracious and loving in purpose because he brought us forth by the word of truth, verse 18. That is, by sending the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, that man should be reborn into a new life. We should not forget, though, that the first fruits of the harvest belong to God. Paul writes to the Corinthians, um, if you've still got your finger in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 6.20 is the verse. Very short, just the one verse there. 1 Corinthians 6 verse 20. For you were bought at a price, therefore glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. 
And we need to do as Paul challenged the Romans in chapter 12, verse 1, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. We belong to God. We can't um, odds that. Uh, we're only here because of what Jesus did for us. He has 24 hours of our day if he wants them, or he should have. <laughs> now, as we come to the end of this passage, let's just read again about some of the qualities we need to display in our redeemed lives when we face these trials. That's verses 19 and 20. So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. When we heard the word of truth, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, we needed a readiness to listen so that we could understand it. Once we are believers, we still need a readiness to listen to God. Zeno said we have two ears but only one mouth, that we may hear more and speak less. Wisdom personified, this is Proverbs, where I said there are similarities to Proverbs. Wisdom personified in Proverbs 8, 33 and 34. You might like to turn there. I'll wait for you. Wisdom um, in Proverbs 8, 33 and 34. Keep your finger there because there's another quote from, or another couple from Proverbs after this. So verses 33 and 34 of chapter 8. Hear instruction and be wise, and do not disdain it. Blessed is the man who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting at the posts of my doors. And Proverbs also contains warnings against speaking too hastily. Uh, have a look at 10 verse 19. In the multitude of words, sin is not lacking. But he who restrains his lips is wise. And again, if you turn to 29.20, Proverbs 29.20. So 29.20 says, Do you see a man hasty in his words? There is more hope for a fool than for him. So we are exhorted to be slow to anger, which here probably refers to anger arising from self-centred irritation, self again. A person's anger does not produce the righteous life that God desires. Okay, so that brings us to our final passage concerning persevering and suffering, and that we can find in James chapter 5, 7 to 12. James 5, verses 7 to 12. <coughs> Therefore be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord, See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and latter rain. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. My brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. Indeed, we count them blessed who endure. 
you have heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brethren, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no, no, lest you fall into judgment. Now the first word of um, that uh, passage we read is therefore, which indicates that James is referring to the previous passage, which we will cover under a different theme. But I will tell you what it's about here. Verses um, 1 to 6 concern rich oppressors taking advantage of their labourers. So James is calling the brethren to be patient with the oppressors as they will be dealt with, as also all the, the other unjust people in the world, at the coming or return of the Lord. And um, the word used for patience here is a slightly different, um, well, a different word with a slightly different meaning as to those we've been looking at, um, which I said is better translated perseverance. The word used in chapter 5 verse 7 more usually means patience towards people as opposed to trials. It's sort of interchangeable even now, but it's a different, slightly different word. And um, James gives three illustrations here of patience or perseverance. The patience of the farmer, the patience of the prophets, and the patience, or perhaps better described, the perseverance of Job. Thinking about Job just for a minute, we have our saying, don't we, the patience of Job. But if anything, if you look at the scripture, it was perhaps a little less than patience. Um, but we get an outstanding example of perseverance in the most trying situations. Just um, turn with me to um, Job chapter 13, verses 2 to 5, and you may sort of get the feeling that Job is a little impatient with his, um, his comforters here. Chapter 13, verses 2 to 5. This is just an aside, really but I like the book of Job. 13, 2 to 5. What you know, I also know. I am not inferior to you, but I would speak to the Almighty and I desire to reason with God. But you forgers of lies, you are all worthless physicians. Oh, that you would be silent and it would be your wisdom. Anyway, returning to the patience of the farmer. He has to wait for the early rains of October and November to make the seeds germinate and the latter rains of March and April to make the crops grow and ripen. Both rainy seasons were necessary for a successful crop. The farmer willingly waits for these rains. James says to you, be likewise, establish your hearts or stand firm if you like, because the Lord's coming is at hand. Now we know that the early church believed that the Lord's return was imminent, but they were obviously mistaken. We've looked at this subject in the past, and here I think it's sufficient to say that God does not see time as men do, and we must remain ever watchful and be pre prepared for when Jesus does return. James's second um, illustration is the prophets. And um, I've chosen one in particular 
who stands out as a prophet who endured mistreatment with patience and yet persisted in his ministry without bitterness or recrimination. That was Jeremiah. Jeremiah's plight included being put in the stocks, being thrown into prison on one occasion and being lowered into a miry dungeon um, in danger of sinking in the mess. And um, he was very patient and he carried on his ministry in spite of all of that. And James's third illustration, the perseverance of Job, which, as I said earlier, gives us an outstanding example of perseverance under suffering and trial. Through all of Job's suffering, he gives us that wonderful phrase in 1925. You should remember this by heart. I do. It's a good, good verse. For I know that my Redeemer lives. And of course, at the end of the book, we see God's compassion and mercy as um, God gives Job twice as much as he had before his sufferings. <coughs> Excuse me. And there's a wonderful, uh, another wonderful verse just before that um, encouraging response from Job to the Lord. In 42.5 he says, I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Isn't that encouraging? Now, having gone through that, there's one verse, verse 9, similar to verse 12, if you like, which seems to stick out on a, a limb. Um, but we deal with them here anyway. And um, in verse 9, if you look at it now, um, this is chapter 5 I'm talking about. Um, James warns about grumbling against one another. And the word here, I'm reliably informed, I hope, by my um, uh, commentary on the Bible that I used, the word might better be translated as murmuring as it refers not to outspoken denunciation, but the unexpressed feelings of bitterness or resentment that may be shown by a groan or a sigh. Do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Now I have to say, after the events of the past couple of weeks, please take this command to heart every one of us here. Do not grumble against one another. We're all on the same side, aren't we? So, summarising verses 7 to 11, James is urging his readers not to fight back, but to exercise long-suffering patience to those outside the fellowship and to those within the fellowship. Now, we deal with um, verse 12. As I said, it's um, a bit out on a limb, and concerning oaths, and I um, aligned that with some of the words of Jesus, didn't I, last month. Um, in the Jewish world, an oath in which the name of God was mentioned was binding. However, oaths could be made without the mention of God's name, and these oaths were not held to be binding. So this made a mockery of taking oaths in the first place. Oaths also became so common that they ceased to be respected and it reached a point where the practice of taking oaths was nothing but proof of the prevalence of lying and cheating. In an honest society, no oath is needed. 
So when believers make an affirmation or a denial, a yes or a no, as it says in the passage, people should know it is unquestionably the truth. And we should never take God's name in vain if we do ever enter into oaths um, because we will come under judgment, as it says. And that's the third commandment, that we should not take the Lord's name in vain. So, in conclusion today, let me remind you that when I gave my overview of James a month ago, I said it was a very practical book as far as living a Christian life is concerned. Last month and again today, I said or hopefully implied that when we apply the contents of the book of James to our lives, we would be better doers of the word. So what can we summarise by way of instruction from the text we've looked at today? I think first and foremost we need to be willing servants of the Lord Jesus and of each other. And remember that if we serve our brothers, we are serving the Lord. We need to praise Jesus even when we suffer trials, because if we persevere, he will perfect that work which he started in us. When we pass the test by showing our perseverance and love of God, we will receive our reward, the crown of life. And that's life now, we don't have to wait for it. New life now. When faced with temptation, God will provide a way of escape. We have to call upon the Holy Spirit to help us and strengthen us and help us to be victorious in Jesus. We need to be swift to hear and slow to speak and keep ourselves from becoming angry. We need to be patient towards people as well as situations and circumstances that cause us trials. We must avoid grumbling and murmuring against each other. And finally, we should be truth seekers and truth speakers in respect of teaching about swearing oaths. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we do thank you for this um, word. We thank you, Lord, for the, um, the wisdom and the life that's contained in your word. Lord, we do pray that you would help us, that you would guide us. You've given us your spirit, Lord. Help us to call upon your spirit when we are faced with trials and temptations, that we may persevere, Lord, that we may bring honour to your name, to the name of Christ, that we may be Christians like Christ. Help us, Lord, we pray. Give us this strength. Help us to be doers of your word. Help us to behave as we should behave. We thank you for Jesus again. We thank you for his cross. We thank you for his shed blood. We thank you for the gift of eternal life. We thank you, Father, for your wonder and your glory.